loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired to create a deeper life to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Dan Diaz. Dan's an advocate for end-of-life options and the husband of Brittany Menard, a 29-year-old woman who died in November 2014 from a brain tumor. The couple moved from California to Oregon, one of seven states that's authorized medical aid in dying, in order for Brittany to have the option of a gentle dying process. As a result of Brittany's story, legislatures have introduced bills to authorize medical aid of dying in over 25 states. Dan advocates for expanding the availability of -of end-of-life options for terminally ill individuals. His efforts were instrumental in securing the passage of the legislation in California, Colorado, and D.C., and they continue across the country, keeping the promise he made to Brittany. Welcome, Dan. Welcome, Dan. Are you there? Yes, I'm here. Uh, hi. Um, hi there. Of, co- of course, we we are having this conversation at a very poignant moment because I know that the bill uh, that that you and, of course, Brittany helped to pass in California is um, currently suspended because of a legal uh, appeal. Uh, and we will talk more about that later, but I really wanted to start with, um, you know, in, in getting ready for today, I, I felt I got to know Brittany a little bit, um, but of course, the Brittany that fought this battle. And I wonder if we could just start with getting to know Brittany a little bit, the person you fell in love with and the person that you you walked with through all of uh, all of the experiences of her cancer. Sure. Um, so Brittany and I, we were together for about it was seven and a half years. We met, um, we were both living in Oakland, California. Um, she had just graduated from UC Berkeley. Um, and we began dating and sure enough, uh, it didn't take long for us to determine that we were a couple boyfriend and girlfriend. Um, we stayed up here in Northern California uh, we lived together with one another down in uh, San Clemente, California, for about a year. Um, and then we were engaged in uh, 2012. Um, we bought a house and started settling into our lives with one another. Our, our wedding day was at uh, the end of September, September 29th of 2012. Um, and it wasn't too long after, um, our wedding, probably the beginning of next year, um, February, March of 2013, where Brittany started having the headaches that they'd wake her up in the middle of the night. She'd start vomiting, you know, be unable to go back to sleep. Um, just this, this pressure pain that she would feel, um, she went to see a specialist, 
the, the specialist at the time did not order a CT scan or anything, but instead concluded that she was suffering from migraine headaches. Um, oddly, the, the headaches went away for a few months. Um, but by the end of that year, 2013, um, the headaches were, were back and um, they just kept getting worse. And it was actually New Year's Eve, so this this was at a um, a, a weekend getaway that Brittany. It was kind of her Christmas gift to for the two of us that we would spend uh, a couple of days in wine country in California. Um, and it was on uh, on that day, so December thirty first, where we had gone to lunch. And as we were walking back from the restaurant, um, she just started feeling horrible. Uh, she starts throwing up again. And at that point, you know, I said, sweetie, we have to go to the emergency room. We went to the hospital. It was in Healdsburg, uh, California. Um, and um, that was the uh, first time that the physician ordered a CT scan. And that was the first time that we saw an image um, a cloudy image of he, the physician said that, you know, there's something there. She needs an MRI. Um, we had to go to another hospital because that facility was, that hospital was so small, they didn't have the MRI equipment. So, um, we ended up at, um, a hospital not too far from our home. It was a two hour ambulance ride for Brittany. Um, and, um, we that was uh, they they did they performed an MRI and that was the first time we saw the the enormity of the brain tumor that she had. Um, so yeah, that's that's how everything played out and got us to to that January first, the the day that we discovered uh, that brain tumor. I, that that really affected me when I when I read about that in the sense that um, that's you had gotten married in wine country. Had you not? I know that area very well. My brother lives there. And yeah. I can imagine that you went kind of in this celebratory space. Yay, headaches gone. Yay, new year. <laughs> you know, and, and such an abrupt change of, of um, subject, uh, yeah. which cancer, of course, always is. But it, it seemed to me even especially abrupt. Yes. I, you know, we... We were we did get married um, in uh, in wine country, California. It was actually one of the first weekends that Brittany and I had taken with one another when we had just started dating um, in 2007 when we met. Uh, was a weekend up to a bed and breakfast in wine country, mm. and that bed and breakfast is where we got married um, in 2012. So for us, that was a very special destination that was, you know, uh, our, um, there, there was a lot of significance, um, whenever we would take a trip to wine country. Um, but you know, on, on this particular trip, um, just the discomfort that she had been dealing with through really that holiday season, um, it, it had started in late November. So during Thanksgiving and then leading up into Christmas, and then finally, for that New Year's trip that we were going to be uh, in wine country, 
the discomfort she was feeling just, it was getting worse and worse. Um, and then, as you said, all of a sudden your world gets turned upside down because of cancer. And, um, you know, we, what we discovered, um, on that day that, that, uh, was, was the beginning of the chaos of, of what a brain tumor can bring to the patient, to the family. And, um, Brittany died. It was 10 months later, 10 months to the day she died, November 1st. 2014. So, um, you know, that's, that's how aggressive that, that brain cancer, um, was that, that she was battling. You know, obviously such a, a, a profound thing to happen to her as a 29 year old person. And, you know, um, I think a lot of attention has been paid to what, what that might've been like for her, but I was, given that I'm someone who who also lost a spouse and uh, very, um, you know, focused in the direction of the, the caregiver in this situation, um, that must have been, um, you, you seem like a person of action, you know, you're, you're good at, at kind of doing things to make stuff happen. Uh, that must have been such a powerless feeling to discover that she was that sick and that there was really not much they could do about it. Yeah. And, and that's where for those 10 months, every day, the thought that is on my mind on her mind as well is that there has to be a solution for this. There has to be a cure. Um, and, and it's just a matter of us finding the right, physician, the right medical institution, the right study, the right clinical trial, and somehow, you know, this just can't be the way that a person dies. Um, But after immersing ourselves into all of the data and researching all of the clinical trials that were available um, that offered any glimmer of hope of, of not saving her life, but at the very least extending her life, um, after looking at all of the treatment options that were out there, you come to the realization that, no, this, this is exactly how cancer ends a person's life. Um, mm-hmm. There are 15,000 people every year in this country that die of a brain-related cancer. Um, and in particular, the, 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 um, the type that um, it was suspected that Brittany had uh, initially, she had so she had brain surgery at UCSF Medical Center uh, just ten days later after we discovered the tumor, um, and the pathology of the tumor material that they were able to remove. Uh, and I think I, re- I referenced it, but the tumor was massive. Uh, most physicians that we interacted with, I don't know how many times we heard uh, these doctors um, kind of on the side just tell us that's the biggest tumor that they personally have seen. Um, and so after the, you know, after enduring that surgery, we go into this mode of researching what we can. Initially it was diagnosed as a grade two astrocytoma glioma. So for those in the audience (laughs) curious or wondering, well, that's what it started as, but unfortunately, um, just two months later at the first 
follow-up MRI, um, the the amount of growth just within those two months um, was it, it was growing so rapidly um, that it was indicative of a GBM, a glioblastoma multiforme. That's the same cancer that uh, same type of cancer that killed. Um, Bo Biden, so Vice President uh, Joe Biden's son, that's the same cancer that killed Ted Kennedy. Uh, that's the same cancer that currently Senator John McCain um, has been diagnosed with and, and is battling against. The reason I mention those three cases in particular is because these are individuals who the, the, you know, the resources, the connections that they would have medical institutions, physicians, and I know this because I've had conversations in a couple of cases with family members of uh, the individuals I just mentioned, where people are coming out of the woodworks to offer their help. Absolutely. Do, whereas in our cases, you know, referred to as just a private citizen, we're the ones reaching out and trying to find um, all of those connections to see what we can do. Um, but my point there being that it, it does not matter the resources um, or the connections that a person might have. Nobody walks away from this cancer. The life expectancy, um, the one-year life expectancy, um, is, or I'm sorry, life ex- the average life expectancy is 14.6 months. Mm-hmm. Um, life expectancy to make to live two years is 27%. Life expectancy of living five years with a GBM is 10%. Um, so th- this is a, uh, it's an aggressive cancer that, that kills very people virulent. Um, very, very quickly. You know, there's a, there's a little bit of a side thing I, I think is important in what you're saying, because I, I work in the cancer field. I run support groups and do all, you know, work with clients with cancer and um, that lack of that, that sense of there's gotta be something. Um, I noticed that often that, extends out to people's friends, acquaintances, and community, and they have a hard time accepting, no, really, there isn't. Uh, And that can be really hard on the patient and and spouse and close family because uh, it implies you haven't tried, you haven't turned every stone over. And uh, in your case, in Brittany's case, of course you would have. Uh, right. I can well, just, and, yeah. yeah. And, and every day, I mean, literally that's as much as Brittany was having a hard time sleeping at night when she would, was finally able to get, you know, peaceful nights sleep during that 10 month time period. Um, many nights, those would be the evenings where I am wide awake and the wheels are turning in my mind as I'm trying to think, okay, I, I, you know, I need to do more searches on internet, reach out to more medical facilities, get in touch with more doctors, because to what you're mentioning, there is this like guilt of that there has to be a solution and it's just a matter of finding it. And, and, um, you, uh, yeah, that, that, that's what your focus is on just constantly. Um, and, and it isn't fair, um, to, for the uh, family members to support, you know, that are supporting the patient to, to beat yourself up, but it, it's just human nature. I mean, I'm human trying nature, absolutely. to do everything I can to save her. Um, but like you, you, you 
the very word that you mentioned that you I feel powerless that what can I do um, despite all of my efforts uh, so yeah that part is is tough and and into all that comes um, I'm assuming generated by her at some point quickly and you know I'm comparing your circumstance to mine uh, my wife was was sick for 10 years diagnosed for eight and a half and mm. And so the amount of time to process what was happening, uh, you, you you had to get somewhere with it very, very quickly, in my view. And mm. at some point, one of you said, uh, probably her, I'm guessing, um, I want the option to end my life if it should get to that point, um, right. which given that you had so much focused on how do we beat this thing, basically. How did that all come about? Oh, I'm going to have to let's, – let's come back to that actually after a break. I realized it's time for a break. But that's what I'd like to take up after, after this break is how that got introduced into the conversation and, and what the, what, how you both grappled with that. Okay. Um, listeners – Listeners, you'll find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America, and you can find uh, more information about the End of Life Act and Dan and um, all of these issues we're talking about at CompassionAndChoices.org. Be back soon. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Today's woman faces a stressful world when it comes to staying healthy. We are bombarded by media messages with contradicting ideas about fitness and nutrition. We need to keep our diet, relationships, and stress in check. It's time to get the right message and have the most fun. Join hosts Andrea Beeman, Lisa Lutan, and Michelle Fenighaus for Healthy View Radio. It's health and happiness in one show every Thursday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There is a difference in health and wellness programs. There can be mainstream programs, and then there is something extra. That something extra is called tips to keep you healthy, happy, and motivated with your host, Kristen Harper. If you want to hear some behind-the-scenes talk radio when it comes to health and wellness, the why as well as the how, be sure to tune in each week. This show will inspire you to be healthy and happy for life, as well as become the best version of yourself. Listen Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. 
Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN. The Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Dan Diaz, whose wife, Brittany Menard, and he moved to Oregon in the last months of her life to access the Oregon's Death with Dignity Act. And now uh, Dan advocates for people throughout the U- U.S. having this option. And before the break, Dan, um, I was saying I'd really like to talk about how that particular subject of end of life um, came into the picture because um I've noticed often people um, who are fiercely looking for a way to um, stay alive hesitate to have that conversation. So it seemed powerful to me that that must have come in relatively quickly into your into your picture. Can you talk some about that? Sure. No, and and it 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 came a, came about very early on. Actually, uh, I mentioned that. We discovered this brain tumor essentially on New Year's, January 1st of 2014. Brittany had surgery on January 10th at UCSF Medical Center. The conversation about medical aid and dying, uh, Brittany brought it up probably January 3rd. So this is before we've even had surgery. Um, and, you know, my response initially was, well, okay, I, I, I guess I understand, but you know, the first thing we have coming up, the first hurdle is this upcoming brain surgery. Um, but that, that was just Brittany's, her determination, her personality of just wanting to think through, to, 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 to allow herself, which looking back, I truly, you know, I, I give her so much credit for just allowing herself to um, think through things in their entirety. Like, how does this play out? Um, uh, the research that we were doing while we were still there in the hospital, um, you know, she had her phone and, and, and eventually I, I brought her laptop computer and, and she would spend her time researching what's in store for her. Not, not only the, the surgery, different treatment options, um, different clinical trials that she stumbled uh, upon at the time. But during that search, also this 
program, which at the time was available in Oregon, but not available in California. In Oregon, it's called their Death with Dignity Law. It, it at that point, had been around for 17 years. You know, California, we like to think we're so progressive, but we were, we were about 17, 18 years behind Oregon on this one. Mm, so, yeah. um, she, uh, but that was not the first time Brittany um, had come across um, medical aid and dying. It was actually the topic that they had covered in one of the classes that she took as an undergrad at UC Berkeley. Uh, huh. so she was aware of it, and um, she brought it up to me, and, and we had that conversation. And, of course, my response at the time was, well, that's what, you know, mistakenly I was saying, well, that's what palliative care and hospice are about. And she says, no, 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 no. This is a unique, this is a different program. The state of Oregon has it. At that time, Oregon, Washington, Vermont, and Montana, those were the four states uh, that afforded a terminally ill individual this option. Uh, and, and so, you know, we had that conversation. I've been asked, well, you know, what did I think of it? At the time, my focus was on, as I mentioned, the immediate hurdle that was coming up, uh, brain surgery. Um, but it very quickly, I recognized that if I was in Brittany's predicament, I'd be saying the same thing. We're going to do everything we can to battle against this cancer. But if things go bad, I at least want to know that I have the option for a, to experience a gentle dying process. That's all Brittany was advocating for. Um, and it's something that it takes, I think, a while or maybe a few times of me explaining that to, to certain audiences because a lot of times people will ask, well, how did you feel about Brittany doing that? And, and my response is, well, by that, do you mean wanting to have the option to pass away gently? Because that's all she was pursuing. Her hope was that she wouldn't have to utilize the medication. Her hope was that hospice and palliative care could keep her comfortable at the end of life. Um, so, you know, there wasn't anything that, that she had set her mind to, to necessarily do. The only thing she had set her mind to was was to have this available to her, if if her suffering gets to the point where it would become necessary. Um, but yeah, that's how it came about. She she had actually um, it, it was in a class when she was an undergrad in college. And what about you? Had you ever been exposed? Had you, did you know anything about? Uh, obviously, you didn't know the details too clearly. <laughs> Because you, you thought yeah. that was a part of palliative or hospice care, but had you ever yeah. heard of the Oregon bill or any of that? No, not, not, until, not until that moment when we were having that conversation um, and you know, we, we talked through it. But, but like I said, it, to me, it didn't sound, I mean, while my focus was on the more immediate things that were taking that, that you know, were coming up, um, uh, what I mentioned, Brittany simply allowed her mind to contemplate every option uh, of how things might play out. Um, and uh, so her, her desire, her, her need to, to talk about that, um, and I recognize that it's my role right now to listen. <laughs> I, I need to hear what she is saying. And, and like I said, that's when I came to the conclusion that 
if if I was in her shoes, I would be telling her the same thing. Oh, I'm going to fight as much as I can against this cancer, but I also want to make sure that um, because in, in doing the research of and, and a simple search on the internet, you know, look up brain tumor symptoms. Um, Brittany experienced many of these symptoms as, as those 10 months progressed, you know, pain that not even morphine can alleviate mm. the uh, inability to sleep for days on end. Um, the nausea, the vomiting that, that, that towards, you know, the months of September and October in particular, it's amazing what the, what a human being can just accept is this is my new normal. Um, yes. The seizures are what terrified her the most. And, and when those would occur, you know, she typically would be unable to speak for 30 minutes um, afterwards. Um, she had three grand mal seizures um, where, you know, she's essentially regaining consciousness after those. They would just wipe her out. Um, but what was coming next is the likelihood that as the tumor grows and puts pressure on different parts of the brain that she would go blind um, if she suffers a stroke, which it's not uncommon to a person with a tumor that it it causes a stroke, um, that um, she could lose the ability to communicate altogether, whether verbally or in writing, um, uh, lose motor function, the ability to stand, walk, swallow. So, yeah, that she would become partially paralyzed or completely paralyzed. Again, this is a simple search on the internet as well as though the way that this was explained by her physicians. And on top of that, both Brittany and I, we each had a friend whose parent died, one of a GBM, the other of a stage three uh, brain cancer. And so they did go blind. They were paralyzed. So we knew what was coming firsthand. And, mm-hmm. and that's why Brittany researched um, and, and found the, you know, the medical aid in dying uh, and decided that, well, if, if we're unable to find treatments that, 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 um, that are able to extend her life, then at least she knows that she can have this option if we move to Oregon. Uh, so, you know, that that's the logic behind the decisions that she was making. And Yes. Which meant which meant she was which meant she was willing to look very quickly. Um because I I do find some people really avoid information that wasn't her. And the other yeah. thing that stood out just getting to know her a little bit in in preparing for today, a very physical person. That's the impression oh, yeah. I got, that um, the idea of, of um, being just so uh, not this person she was, an adventurer, a, um, a physically robust kind of person, might be especially difficult to contemplate. Yeah. No, she would not tolerate um, if, uh, well, like I said, as I mentioned, being, you know, partially paralyzed, stuck in bed, dying as a suffering mass with tubes coming out of her. I mean, I'm not making this up. That's literally how right. you know people that yeah. we uh, were knew. That's that's what their ending was like. And Brittany was one to, as far as being a, you know, she 
she climbed Mount Kilimanjaro and Cotopaxi, and she worked for six months in an orphanage in Southeast Asia. She, you know, she loved traveling. Being outdoors was was truly what what kind of charged her batteries, and and that's that to her was living. And um, so she lived on her own terms, um, and she was not willing to um, have her dying process. Uh, be dictated by that cancer. Uh, she was also in a personality trait of hers that, you know, she lived on her own terms and, and she felt it was, it was her right and, and, um, that, that she have a little bit of say of, of how her final few days might play out on the screener. Um, and, and so that taking back that little bit of control from the brain tumor, um, you know, that, that, was very important to her um, and fueled the decision for us to move to Oregon. And that's what I was about to get around to because, uh, again, I was projecting a little bit into your situation. Um, I was surrounded by support and not just family support, but, you know, tons of friends that were doing practical things to be helpful uh, when my wife was sick. Um that the experience of, of moving away uh, across state lines to something totally, um, I would imagine, unfamiliar, a, a completely unfamiliar environment, even if people visit and, and all of that, it's not the same as staying in your own community and being supported there. And that must have been quite a, I would think, quite a wrenching decision to need to make. Yeah, that part was that that was terrible, and that and that was the reason that Brittany spoke up. She felt it was a huge injustice that we would have to leave our home after that. Any terminally ill individual would have to go through what she went through of leaving their home after being told you have six months to live. So it it, it was just, I mean, we had to. Brittany found a house for us to rent in Portland on Craigslist. Um, she had to find uh, a new medical team. She established residency. Um, you know, we packed up half of our house here in California into a U-Haul truck, and we drove 600 miles north um, to that rental house So just so she would have this option if it were to become necessary for her. Um, the idea that anyone has to go through that, but in particular, in their last six months of life, um, you know, that, that is time, effort, and energy that we should have focused on her care. And instead, we were having to put that into leaving our home state of California. Um, that did not sit well with Brittany and, and is the reason why it just speaks again to her personality and determination that if there is something that she views as wrong, she's going to speak up about it. And she did. And, um, and so with, you know, the energy that she could muster in between dealing with, you know, the, the suffering that she was having to put up with for those last few months, she spoke up, um, to make a difference and, and made that, that initial video, which honestly, that video, her intent was that it might, uh, it might influence or have an effect on legislators so that more laws can 
would pass in, in, in more states, starting with our home state of California, um, she had no idea. We had no idea that it would get the amount of attention that it did. So she did not set out, as the media uh, labeled her, she, Brittany did not set out to be the face of this end-of-life option or medical aid and dying. The media put that on, you know, that attest that label to her. Mm, yeah. She was simply it, speaking up because she <laughs> thought this was an injustice, but when it did, um, uh, it was October 6th um, when the, that first video was released, and, you know, 12 million YouTube views later, and everybody was reporting on Brittany Menard. So um, that, that that just the way that played out, that was not her intent um but you know the uh well but it came uh, it makes sense to me that both of you would be um very good candidates for that because of the fact that there was no wiggle room about what death would look like for her without this option and of course that can be a very nuanced thing uh i still firmly believe people should have that option it's their death you know but um in her case so clearly reduces and doesn't um you know reduces harm let's say um and so when we come back from this next break um let's talk some about that but um you know just to say uh so so much feeling for me around having to make that kind of move even though of course, it was clear that's what you needed to do. Uh, so we'll, we'll be back after a short break, listeners. Uh, you can find me at weatheringrief.com. That's my website or the Good Grief Host page. And to find out more about this issue, go to compassionandchoices.org. Back soon. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Ready to transform your health and your world? Join host Melissa Alexander for Insight Living with Vitality. Melissa and her guests go behind the scenes on what it takes for practitioners and clients to transform themselves and others. She provides insight to medical procedural breakthroughs, available product resources, and explains lifestyle choices designed to improve and expand your vitality. It's time to get rid of that baggage, remove those blockages, and prevent buildup from hindering your progress in life. Tune in every Monday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent, inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision-making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that'll help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss 
Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all of our show archives on demand. All from your iOS, Amazon Kindle, or Android device. Download it from the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I've been talking with Dan Diaz, whose wife, Brittany Menard, and he moved to Oregon so she could uh, have access to Oregon's Death with Dignity Act. And Dan now advocates for other people to have that right, um, not only in in California, where he um, helped to get a similar bill passed, but also across the nation. And I just wanted to say one more word about the move, Dan, uh, obviously emotionally wrenching, but also for many people impossible, um, because I'm thinking of all the economic ramifications of, and, and health insurance ramifications of, of um, leaving your home state and um, leaving your home, leaving where you were at least employed. I, I, I am assuming maybe she also worked. So it must have been such an economic blow for, for the two of you, too. Yeah, the, you know, the wrenching that house in Portland, um, well, we still had our home here in California. So it, it would still have to pay the mortgage and property tax and insurance and then having this other household in the sense. And I had to take a leave of absence from work. And, and you know, with it, your pay gets it's only 66% of what you would normally get as a paycheck. That was the, the policy that my employer um, uh, provided. So, I mean, very quickly, the, the idea that, and you see this play out across the country. It's, it's terrible that a, a sudden illness not only means you're battling that illness, but it, it can mean financial ruin just that quickly. Uh, and so the stress and anxiety added because of that um, is, is again, something that uh, Brittany was was she was so upset that why do we have to go through this, this measure of, of crossing this imaginary line on a map somewhere. And if we're in Oregon, she has this option so that she can pass away gently versus if we stay in California, potentially she's going to experience that same dying process that I previously described with all of those worsening symptoms. Um, you know, and, and then eventually blindness paralysis. And so, yeah, that that just compounded um, the stress and anxiety that that we were going through. 
um, and was even more, um, it fueled Brittany's determination to, to speak up for, for those who may not have those resources um, and, 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 and be able to leave like we did. So um, that, that, was, that was part of who Brittany was advocating for. And who you now advocate for, because I, I know that, of course, you do the work you do to honor her and to keep your promise. But um, we've spoken a few times and then today on the radio and um, you have your own strong connection to this issue uh, in my experience. You know, uh, it's yours and hers, it seems to me. Would that be fair to say? Yes, because you're right. This is how I honor Brittany's legacy. Um, and it, every state that we've passed this, I've mentioned that there were four states before Brittany died that, have, that had this program in place. Now, uh, since Brittany died, we've passed this legislation in four more. So there was California, Colorado, D.C., and just two months ago, Hawaii. Um, so each one of those, it, 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 it does go a long way just, I guess, in my heart of, of keeping my promise to Brittany and, um, honoring, um, this, this, this conversation that she started nationwide, uh, and people recognizing that we should be able to talk about this openly. (laughs) This isn't the third rail issue. This is something that, uh, death that is, is something that eventually will come for all of us. And how that dying process goes, uh, you know, endings matter. And for her, um, Brittany, uh, in her case, because of the, the suffering that she was going to be facing, um, she you know, wanted to make sure that, that her ending, her final few days, would be peaceful. Um, and now this is how I, I honor her legacy. I, I was it's it it definitely stood out to me uh, in listening to one of the interviews you did a while back. Um, the idea that most people would say that they wanted to die in their sleep and that Brittany did. Exactly. That, that, <laughs> it's kind of the if her, you yeah. take away the getting there, her yeah. actual death was so peaceful and quiet and and surrounded by love and um uh, you know wouldn't we all like to end that way um but we can't we can't leave today without talking about the struggle that's going on in california right now um just a couple of weeks before this interview i know that um a, a judge uh suspended um the California end of life option act. And um, that must be so devastating having gone through such a lengthy and difficult process to get that access for people. And then knowing that there are people right this minute in, in Brittany's same circumstance who now suddenly don't have that option when they thought they did. Yeah. Yeah. The the ruling by this judge is, is, frustrating because the the opponents to medical aid and dying, so in this case, they're the plaintiffs who brought the suit, and then they found this judge who um, 
was sympathetic to their argument and agreed and, and, and gave a ruling that... Um, now, to be clear, they did it on a technicality that we introduced this legislation or, or part of the legislation went through the special session back in 2015, the special session that the governor had opened for matters pertaining to health and health-related, and health-related issues. Um, and so um, we introduced this legislation we had gotten it through the Senate. We were on the assembly side now. Um, we were getting some resistance uh, on, on the one committee hearing in particular on the assembly. And we knew the special session was come. It had already been announced that the special session was coming. And so the authors of the bill, of the bill very uh, you know, uh, wisely said, well, we'll go through the special session because it is called, it was open for matters of health. Um, and we went through, we got through that committee hearing. It went to the floor of the assembly for a full debate by all 80 members of the California assembly. It passed the floor vote. It then went back to the Senate for their second full vote. And then it went to the governor. So the process, as far as I'm concerned, um, and with 76% of the, of Californians agreeing with Brittany that a terminally ill individual should have this option at end of life. Um, the the process that we went through and got the governor's signature that put this into law for the last two years is very frustrating that there would now be this judge who decides that, oh, no, no, that, that wasn't appropriate, the special session. Uh, so it's on a technicality that they're challenging this. Um, but, you know... My heart breaks for the people who are now in Britney's predicament, as you mentioned, that they find themselves thinking, do I have to go through the odyssey of what Britney did and leave my home state in order to have this option? I had a physician, palliative care physician, just five, four or five days ago reach out to me, sent me a text message, which where he described that he currently has a patient who has just been admitted to the emergency room, and she she has um, cancer, breast cancer, that metastasized to the lungs. She is now suffering the very dying process that she had hoped to avoid. But because of this judge's um, ruling, uh, that patient is now suffering. Um, and it, the the most troubling aspect of what's transpired over the last two weeks is I've read a few articles, um, you know, newspaper reports, or actually it was online, where the opponents have said, they've, they've claimed that terminally ill patients, that they are now somehow, somehow that they're better off because they've overturned this legislation. Um, and, and clearly using Brittany as an example, or this uh, physician um, that, um, that I just mentioned, um, the reality is that no, no, a terminally ill individual in California who may have thought, yeah, it, as a last resort, at least they have this option, that's now been taken away. Those patients are absolutely, they are worse off now. Um, so uh, and limiting a person's choice uh, like this, um, you know, I, I can't, I just don't understand how they can say that, that they've somehow improved um, this you know, end of life experience for these people. Well, especially not everybody does end up using their medication, we should say, but 
uniformly, people who want that option and are given that option um, have a reduction in anxiety, for yeah. sure, because yeah. they have the option. It's sort of like if you can press the button to stop the drill in the dentist's office, you can stand more pain. And people yeah. tend to live longer. I think uh, that's been well shown in, in Oregon, for sure. Uh, there, We could do a whole other hour on all the objections, but um, I, I just want to mention that, of course, you're a religious person, a Catholic, and you don't see any um, uh, conflict between those two things. I, I heard you recently speak on that eloquently, um, yeah. And unfortunately, we don't have enough time to to give it justice. But um, I think, you know, the uh, patient, uh, physicians, uh, another objection I've heard is physici- physicians aren't supposed to do harm and this is killing someone. No, it's reducing the harm of death. <laughs> so right. um, we, we, we've spoken mostly today about you and Brittany and your journey and where that's led for you. But um, all of those things are in the background, kind of the, the reasons, the beliefs that people have that stand in the way of someone else exercising their beliefs. It's kind of mighty, isn't it? So um, we just have a couple, a couple of minutes here. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, what would your would your dream be? I'm assuming it would be uh, that everyone in the U.S. for sure has the right to this. Do you have any other wishes going into the future? Um, well, I I've been to now twelve different state capitals. Um, and as I mentioned, that's, that's how I keep my promise to Brittany, working on this legislation. Um, and when I speak with senators, um, legislators, um, or just people who will show up at those hearings, terminally ill individuals will walk up to me. They'll introduce themselves and say, you know, hi, Dan, my name is fill in the blank. And then they'll say, I have stage four cancer, fill in the blank, pancreatic cancer, breast cancer, whatever it is. And they're so grateful to Brittany. Um, so I, I guess, yeah, as my hope is that eventually we'll defend this law in California and, and we'll see passage of it in, in more states. Um, and, and I guess if people could just keep in mind that a terminally ill individual like Brittany, um, anyone in her predicament, she's not choosing between living and dying. That's where a lot of times the opponents like to muddy the waters. This isn't a pro-choice or pro-life issue. The the option or the decision for Brittany to continue to live, that's no longer on the table. These Mm. are the definition, terminally ill. They are dying. That cancer, that brain tumor is killing her. So the only choice that Brittany has or any terminally ill individual, um, they're simply choosing between two different methods of dying. One that's 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 a great place to end and we're out of time. I want to thank you so much. 
and let people know that next week I'll have Jay Perry and his, we're going to talk about his book, Dad Got Sick. He quit his job at a young age to take care of his father who was diagnosed with cancer. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.